0: Hey, we're going to uh, conclude our sermon series today called, who knows, Fixer Upper. Yeah, this is the eighth and final week of Fixer Upper. We've been doing this series out of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And my hope, my prayer is that you have seen God do some major, major reconstruction in your lives, right, where you are more rooted And rebuilt in your faith than ever before. Last week Pastor Brian did a great job at looking at how how the Jewish people in the book of Nehemiah became a revived people, right? A revived people. And how we need to become a revived people. We sing that song a lot about revive me, O Lord, right? We sing it a lot, but we got to live it out and be revived through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can live it each day. And then this week we kind of we finish the series, looking at what it means to be a reformed people. Okay, what it means to be a reformed people. Now, when you hear the word reform, you may think of all kinds of different things. You may think of a reformatory school where troubled teens used to go, in, in order to be changed for society. Or maybe maybe you think of the uh, Reformation, right, where Martin Luther nailed his ninety-five theses. Right there on the doors of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And he started what was known as the Protestant Reformation, right? And so today we have thousands, thousands of Protestant churches. We are one of them as a result. But no matter what comes to mind, we need to first of all understand that the word reform means to be changed in such a way as to be improved, to be Made better, right? How many of you guys want to improve a little bit? Anybody? Yeah, we all want to hopefully improve a little bit. We don't want to be the same as yesterday or the day before. Hopefully, our desire is to improve spiritually when we're constantly being molded and shaped more into the character of Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves have we ever been reformed spiritually? Or are we in the process right now of truly being reformed? I know one man that definitely would say he was completely radically reformed. And that man was John Newton. Check this out. John Newton was a man who said this, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. Oh, pretty sinful right there, huh? He was actively involved as a captain on a number of slave ships and was heavily involved, sadly, in the slave trade. However, during a violent storm at sea, he came to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And although at first he did not consider himself to be a strong believer, kind of in the full sense of the word, he later became a leading part of the anti-slave movement. And he started a Thursday night prayer service. Every single Thursday night. Check this out. He wrote a hymn every Thursday night for this service. That's incredible. He would write a new song for these services. He compiled over 280 hymns in his day. With the most famous one being Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Talk about a life that was reformed. You see, he was so incredibly thankful to Almighty God for extending his miraculous grace to a man who had done such horrible, horrible things. In fact, even in Newton's old age, his heart still shuddered. It shuddered at the business that he had been a part of. He had great remorse for that sin. He vowed then to do everything that he could to help William Wilberforce and all the others to end the horrible practice of slavery. You see, John Newton had truly been reformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is also what God did with the Jewish people in Nehemiah's time as well as what he wants to do with us today. He doesn't ever want us to stay the same. He wants to reform us each and every day more into his character. So we're going to look at Nehemiah one last time today. Please turn on your Bibles to Nehemiah. We're going to look at Nehemiah 38 and then 10, 28, and 29, especially here at the beginning. Let's go ahead and read it. It says, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders Our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God, given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our lord yeah you see in this passage check it out we are we're seeing that there is this binding agreement there's a covenant that's made between the jewish people and the lord their god and they believe that they needed to make this commitment because for far too long their ancestors had ignored they had completely ignored god's holy commands and they wanted God now to know that they were serious. That now they're serious about commitment. And that is why they even put it in writing, and the leaders even affixed their seals to it, guaranteeing its official regard. It's kind of like a, like a notary today, so to speak. It's a seal that's affixed to this agreement that was being made. You see, they had been revived. They had been reformed. They wanted God to know that they were committed. They were committed to him. I mean, really committed to the Lord to follow and obey all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord. The long list of names, check it out there. it's a huge list of names in your Bibles. It starts with the leaders, Nehemiah, Zedekiah. The priests, who were 21 names, the Levites, who were 17 names, the heads of the noble families, which included 44 names, all total 84 people, signed the covenant. They represented the entire nation in making a serious commitment to God. They understood that they were doing a few things. Check it out here. They understood they were submitting to God's word. They understood they're separating as God's people. And number three, they were supporting God's work, especially in the needs of the temple. That's what they were doing. They were submitting, fully submitting to God's word, separating as God's people. In other words, being different than the world and supporting, even financially, God's work and the needs of the temple. You see, these people understood. The huge importance of commitment. Because they didn't want to fall into the same traps as their forefathers. They didn't want to go down that road. Commitment is exactly what we need today as well. Amen? Come on. The problem is very few people truly want to commit to anything or anybody. So, it's amazing. When we see it lived out, doesn't it bring joy to our hearts when we start to see it lived out at times. In fact, this past week I received an email from Thriving Marriages. It's, uh, it's an organization that I get emails from. And they described a couple, a special couple named Daniel Frederick and Susan Bateman. No, they're not movie stars and they're not government leaders. But their lives are tremendously significant because they were married True story, they were married 91 years and 12 days. You heard that right, 91 years and 12 days. And I don't think they got married at five or six, okay? Wow, the longest recorded marriage in history, or at least since Methuselah and that whole gang before the flood, okay? They lived a long time back then. That's a whole other discussion. (laughs) But you talk about commitment. You talk about being Committed to each other. I tell you what, they probably had their bumps and bruises along the way, just like any other marriage, okay? Sometimes people say, well, we have it so much harder now. Eh, I don't know about that. We've got to study some history. There's some really rough things that they had to go through decades ago. They were sold out, though, to each other and the Lord. And God blessed. God blessed their commitment. Nowadays, people have no concept of that kind of commitment in er any area of life, much less marriage a lot of times. We want to be free to change, free to do whatever we want, when we want, how we want. We want our version of liberty and not any form of obligation. Today, we prefer to go by how we feel. How does this make me feel? Whoa, 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 feelings, right? Rather than what is right, rather than standing upon truth we got to be willing to stand upon what is right. There's an epidemic attack going on right now. People have been talking about the pandemic, but there's an epidemic going on. The epidemic is an attack on absolute truth where suddenly everything has become relative. We all have our own version of truth. Truth has gone from being just watered down (laughs) to actually being completely submerged in water. It was bad enough when truth was watered down a few years ago, right? But now truth is submerged completely in water where people make up truth based completely on how they feel instead of what has actually been said or done. Truth is all on how you feel nowadays. Wait a second. The danger in all of this is that it creates a society that can no longer sustain itself. And will eventually implode. It will implode. Consequently, our words and our actions, they got to align with truth. Amen. There's no greater truth, too, than God's Word. This is the truth that we have to live by. Therefore, we must read the Word. Review it. Reflect it. Reflect upon it and apply it. And when people attack the Word, because I'm telling you what, There's a lot of people trying to attack the Word of God nowadays, more than ever before. I've been following Christ since I was a teenager, and I tell you what, the attacks get bigger and stronger all the time. And we better know how to defend the truth. We better know how to defend it with love and with grace, with respect. But we got to know how to defend it. That's what apologetics is all about. I'm a big, big proponent of apologetics. That means the defense of the faith. There's a lot of great books that can help you if you really want to know how to defend your faith in a loving way and stand upon truth. Books like More Than a Carpenter, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, A Ready Defense, Case for Christ, Case for Faith, all of these books that are written with so much historical, geographical, bibliographical, I'm going to say that five times, evidence that supports the Bible as the Word of God. We've got to defend our faith with love. Defend it with grace, defend it with respect, but hold strong to it. So then here in the book of Nehemiah, we first of all have the leaders making a covenant with God to obey carefully all the commands, and then we have the rest of the Jewish people following their lead. That's what I always enjoy. You see, they make a commitment to basically follow all of God's laws primarily in six distinct ways. Here they are. Not to marry non Jewish neighbors. Number two, to always observe the Sabbath. Number three, to observe every seventh year as a Sabbath year. Number four, to pay a temple tax. Number five, to supply wood for the burnt offerings in the temple. And number six, to give dues to the temple. And you might hear these commands and you might think, well, wait a second, what did all of these really have to do with God so much? Here's what we have to realize. We have to understand that it's not always about the specifics of what's being asked for, okay? Although those are important. But rather, it's the actual surrender and obedience to the Lord no matter what. And after years of decadence and exile, the people were finally, finally taking seriously their responsibility to follow God and to keep his laws wholeheartedly. That's the question for us today. That's the question. Are we taking our faith seriously? Or are we just playing games with God? Only you can answer that question. Are we serious about God or are we just kind of playing the game, playing the game? Are we do, willing to do what he says no matter how difficult it is, how different it is, how diversive it is? Are we willing to be completely committed to live how He wants us to live? That's our first question today. Are we committed to live the way God wants us to live? He's got the playbook right there. Are we willing to follow it and live that way? If we do, I'm telling you what. Woo, the light that we could be for this community and this state and this country and this world is oh, if we just live it out. It's incredible. But we got to be committed to doing that, right? But you might be saying, I don't don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know how, what's going around. Here's the deal. He doesn't want us just sitting around developing spiritual apathy, right? More than anything, a lot of times, he just wants to kick us in the tail. Sometimes we need to be kicked in the tail. God kicks me in the tail a lot. That's a good thing, okay? That's conviction. That's a good thing for us. He gets us moving for him and doing what we know God has called us to do. And the most important thing that he's called all of us to do is obedience. That's number one. 1 Samuel 15, says, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. First Peter 1 Peter 1.15 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And we know that holiness means what? To be set apart. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. To be different than the world. To have a totally different mindset, right? A different mindset, a different perspective that is contrary to the world's values because this mindset is centered upon Jesus Christ and not the world's values. I was thinking a lot about different mindsets this past week as the NCAA basketball tournament known as March Madness, began. Woo, I love March Madness, let me tell you. Been watching it since I was about six years old. Last year we didn't have the tournament, COVID, like, wrecked it, so this year it's great to have it back. 68 basketball teams who made the tournament out of a possible 350, they're all vying for the championship, right? Millions of people from all over the country, what, filling out their brackets on who they think is going to win. Anybody fill out a bracket? Anybody? Oh, Brian filled out two? Oh, come on. Woo, Mike, okay. Yeah. I used to fill out brackets all the time before the, you know, before we would get rolling with it. Um, I stopped. The reason I stopped was basically mine looked almost the same every single year. I always had Ohio State winning the national championship. Every year, I couldn't I couldn't help it. I mean, it's a good thing I didn't do it this year since they got beat in the first round. Man, oh, Man. But it it was one of those, but so did Liberty. Sorry. Sorry, Pastor Brian. (laughs) It was one of those things where, you know, you see the mindset of these guys, though. The commitment. I love the commitment that is there of these players and the coaches, right? You think about it. The mindset this year, especially, in order to succeed, this year, unlike most years, the players are being quarantined in their hotel complex for possibly up to two and a half years weeks. I was quarantined for 10 days, and I wanted to break through a wall, let me tell you. This is two and a half weeks if they find themselves fortunate enough just to be in the title game. Plus, they're being tested all the time for COVID, and they're having to do their classes, of course, on Zoom, because they still are, their students too, you know, and they know if they truly want to win it, if they want to win it all, they got to be focused physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Their focus has to be razor, razor sharp doesn't it that was true for the jewish people with nehemiah as well sure they had finished the task of building the wall right they had got it done but the hardest task of living out their faith was yet to come so in nehemiah chapter 11 we see that the new residents they're moving in right they're moving in check it out nehemiah 11 1 and 2. now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. While the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns, the people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. You see, previously, because the walls were not built and there was a lot of kind of rubble within the city, there had been a fear of attacks. And there wasn't much hope, really. Not a lot of hope for economic prosperity, but Nehemiah knew that if Jerusalem was going to be strong, was going to be prosperous, and if the worship in the temple, if the worship in the temple was going to thrive, then the city had to be had to be well populated with citizens who could defend it in case of an attack. So then those who were selected had to make the commitment of defense a major part of their lives, right? They could just live in the city for a short period of time, then move on back to the country. No, they had to be willing to move their families for the sake of the bigger picture. Wow. I'm sure that wasn't easy for a lot of them. They didn't want to be city folk. They liked being country folk. They had to be willing to move. And so there were 3,044 men with their families that moved into the city with a rough conservative number of approximately 10,000 people out of the 100,000 total people living in the countryside. So then although they had to pull up the roots where they were established and give up their land in the country, they knew this is what they needed to do. That's the second part of of commitment. Are we committed to go where God wants us to go? (laughs) Are we committed to go where God wants us to go? Where's God calling us? Maybe he's calling us to be right here in good old Norwalk. That's awesome. Maybe not. I don't know. Have we asked God or we just assume? We need to ask the Lord. We know the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 starts out with what? Go and make disciples of all nations. This was not the great suggestion, the great consideration. This was the Great Commission. So we have to ask, where is God calling us to go? And recognize, yeah, it might be in Norwalk, but it might not. Maybe it's clear on the other side of the world. We had Jeff and Sonia Oni here in the first service today. Talking with them, recognize their niece Maggie is called to France, has a deep love for the people of France, love for the Lord. She's gonna be sharing the gospel all over France and some of the cities there. Wow. You might think France, ooh, that's nice, wee, 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 you know. But I tell you what, that is a country that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ in a big time way. Less than 1% Christian in that nation right now. So we have to be willing to say, okay, where is it that God may want us to go? The key is listening to God's leading and then obeying by going where he wants you to be and making the biggest impact possible for Jesus Christ. So if it is here, then we're going to say, I'm going to make the biggest impact possible in Huron and Erie counties for Christ. We can't let fear, insecurity, or uncomfortability affect us, right? Those three things, we let it affect us all the time. It prevents us from being all that God wants us to be. Remember, too, though, that God always has a special heart for the cities of the world because God had such a big heart for people, and the cities are filled with lots and lots of people. And definitely cities can be crazy, sure. They can be overwhelming. Come with me to New York sometime. It's crazy. It's overwhelming. But I tell you what, if the pandemic has taught us anything at all, Is that we definitely know that we know that we need each other more than ever, right? We have to be with people. Maybe not millions, but we need to be with people. Even the most introverted person in the world is not meant to live in isolation, right? So that even if we don't live in a city, that's okay. But we still have to see God's heart, though, for the cities. Just like God's heart for Jerusalem. In fact, God even refers to heaven as a city known as the new Jerusalem. You realize that? We have to ask ourselves, what can we do to still reach cities for Christ by either going on a short-term mission trip ourselves or, or maybe we're, uh, we're giving to someone like Maggie who, who ministers there in another country or maybe it's just really praying, seriously praying for people that are doing ministry in cities. Because let me tell you, it's hard. My buddy David Van Fleet, you're going to see him here in a few weeks. But I tell you what, that's hard living sometimes in New York and ministering there. It's not easy. And so to pray for those people. We have to realize cities have a large impact on our world, either positively or negatively. Then as we continue on, check it out, with Nehemiah. We see the people, not only are they looking at where's God calling them to go, but being committed to serve how God wants them to serve. That's our third question. Are we committed to serve how God wants us to serve? In fact, some of the Jewish people use their gifts, especially of music, in chapter 12. If you look at it, it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. And then it says, I also assigned two large to give thanks. Yeah. Furthermore, in verse 44, we see more acts of service. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms, contributions, first fruits, and tithes. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. Nehemiah 12, 44, 45. It was amazing to see the Jewish people wanting to use their giftings to honor and to celebrate God, right? In fact, the whole dedication was really characterized by such wonderful joy and praise and singing. The people wanted to truly celebrate the wonder of their God, and they didn't want to hold anything back at all. They didn't want to hold anything back. we got an amazing worship band. I just love them. They don't hold anything back. Come on. Praising God. Some of you, we'd love to have you in the worship band. Some of you, maybe not so much, but still make a joyful noise right where you are. That's okay. Make a joyful noise. But we all have to realize we've all been given a variety of gifts. Every single one of you. One of you has been given a gift. Never forget that. Not just musical ones. God wants us to use whatever gifts we have to really bring honor and glory to Him. And we're going to help you discover them. Pastor Brian and I have been talking about that. Randy Horde wants to get plugged in. And we're talking about how we're going to help people discover their gifts and then use them even more effectively. Some of you are doing that tremendously right now. We're so thankful. That's awesome. There's others that we want to get you plugged in. That's where you can grow all the more when you're serving. The key, though, is when we discover those gifts, it's really we become a true servant then, you know. That's when it's exciting because we can become a true servant where we operate in four distinct ways, just like the Jewish people did. Here they are. A servant is going to operate with a pure heart, right, right? That's what God wants to develop in each of us. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, O God. A pure heart. The Old Testament rituals symbolize how our hearts are sinful and God is holy. And today, too, we should put 1 John 1, 9 into practice. Confess our sins daily to God and allow Him to cleanse us, right? From all unrighteousness. That's how we have a pure heart. We're cleansed. Number two, a servant needs to have what? A worshipful heart. Worshipful heart. It doesn't always have to be in music. <laughs> but it, it does have to be an overflow of the heart. and should involve some form of giving praise. Maybe even with our hands, right? Just like last week, we had Wendy Merritt doing the painting. It was beautiful. That's a way of using a gift. Some It might be dance. You might be seeing a little bit of that in a few weeks. You'll see. It might be woodworking. We've had sets being built and all kinds of things being done. It's fantastic to look at. Some of you guys, you put a hammer and nails in your hand. Woo, look out. You're going to work. And you're doing it for the glory of God. It's awesome. It's a gift. No matter what it is, though, it's got to engage. It's got to engage the heart, the will, and the emotions, doesn't it? It does. Third, a servant needs to have a joyful heart. Shouldn't be serving out of drudgery. You ever seen somebody kind of serve like, Yeah, I gotta go to church. Oh, I gotta do this. Oh, I gotta, I gotta hand out this. I gotta make this. Wait a second here. No. Oh. We ever get to that point, maybe we need to take a step back then, then get back involved later on. God wants us to serve with a joyful heart. Remember, with the Jewish people in Nehemiah, it's mentioned five times. Five times with chapter 12, verses 44, saying, the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Wow. Pastor Chuck Swindoll, a hero of mine, said, it wasn't their song that was heard from afar, but their joy. Outsiders heard their joy. Outsiders heard their joy. So then with us, people should be able to not only see our joy, but hear our joy. And that means, you know what? That means that it's okay to laugh as Christians. I know this past year has been hard. Trust me. I know. It's been difficult. It's been challenging. But lately, for the first time, I've heard people laughing. Really, belly laughs, you know, tears coming out. Just the ugly crying laughs. Those are the best. It's it's been sad because I haven't heard a whole lot of laughter the past year. And we're starting to hear that a little more. And that's a beautiful thing. It's okay to laugh as a Christian, it's okay to have fun as a Christian. I used to think growing up, I used to think that, nah, Christians, you just got to sit there like this, don't move. And then I came to Christ and I started having more fun than I ever thought was humanly possible because God put joy in my heart. And I man this is living now cuz we're living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that's what the abundant life is all about of having that joy regardless of the circumstances of life. The fourth one, a committed servant needs a giving heart. A giving heart. The Jewish people with Nehemiah gave cheerfully so that God's work could go forward, right? They saw the importance of worship at the temple. And they were willing to give the necessary offerings to support the ministry. In the same way with us. We cannot be, we should not be tight-fisted with our finances, right? After all, God owns it all anyway. It's not ours. It's on loan to us. We don't own it. We're blessed to be able to give back to him. Not reluctantly, but with a grateful heart. There's so much joy in knowing when we give to the Lord and to know the impact that that is making, that people are coming to know Christ and grow in their faith in Christ, that people are being helped like with Operation Serve next next Sunday, those things in the community and throughout the world. There's so much joy in that. And when we just hold on, no, this is mine, I worked hard for this, I'm not going to give this, okay. But what happens is your heart gets so hardened and God wants to soften that heart Because when we give for the Lord's work, there's so much beauty in that. So much beauty in that. We have to be able to give out of love and devotion for Him. Finally, I uh, I read a story recently about a man that's been in full-time ministry for many, many years. He was given some advice to his son. He said, quote, Keep close to God, keep close to people, and bring God and people closer together. Pretty simple, right? But do we do it? Keep close to God, keep close to people, and bring God and people closer together. A beautiful thing that we need to do. And it's the essence of ministry. It's the essence of what we all can do, regardless of what we think our talents are or abilities. We can all do those simple things. That brings us to our life lesson today. Life lesson is it's pretty simple. Let's get ready to what? To commit. We've had, let's get ready to rock. We've had let's get ready to lead. We've had all kinds of let get ready. You know, I almost wanted to play that jock jam saying, let's get ready to rumble. You know, I almost did it. I didn't know. I wanted to. I wanted. start dancing, you guys. I don't know. But let's get ready to commit, right? Are we going to be really committed to Jesus Christ when we sign our lives up for him? Not the things of this world, but for him. That's the type of type of commitment that God wants from each of us. All of us can do that, too. We just got to let the Holy Spirit give us the strength to make that commitment and then live it out, right? Live it out. There's so much joy, so much peace in doing that. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we do come before you today. Lord, thank you for these friends here. Thank you for bringing them out today. Thank you for a chance to be together in person and on Facebook Live. And, And Lord, you... You've done such a great work. We're so thankful to you. Lord, we just want to give back to you in whatever way is possible. Lord, we want to serve you. And God, I too pray that you would help us to be able to commit fully to you with our lives, dear God. May our lives be a living sacrifice unto you. Lord, we know we can do it, not through our power, but through your power, your strength, dear God. So Lord, help my brothers and sisters here today. Throughout this week. To live out their faith. To be committed to you. To stand upon the truth of your word. But at the same time to show love and grace to others as well. Lord, help us to have that balance with that. Lord, it can only be through you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for this beautiful day today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Oh, great being with you guys. Is it 87 or 89 outside right now? Oh, it's close though. I enjoy the beautiful day today out of our seats and into the world. Love you guys.